Psalm 37, 23 is our theme. The steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord. And we have been looking through the life of Jacob at how these steps are taken. And so we're going to be looking. Uh, I, I had planned to preach a message this morning on take the next step in worship. We're going to do that next week. There's something that happens before we can genuinely worship. Before we can genuinely worship, something has to happen. So we're going to set it up by doing a little bit of review, showing how the life of Jacob and the life of Esau, those lives, they represent the flesh and the spirit. And the spirit wars with the flesh. Isn't that true? If you're born again, you have the spirit living in you. The Bible tells us that the spirit wars against the flesh and the flesh with the spirit. And that, that war, that battle is represented very clearly in the lives of Jacob and Esau. So let's look at this. Genesis chapter 25, <clears throat> verse 21. And Isaac entreated the Lord for his wife because she was barren. And the Lord was entreated of him. And Rebekah, his wife, conceived. And the children struggled together within her. And she said, If it be so, why am I thus? And she went to inquire of the Lord. And the Lord said unto her, Two nations are in thy womb. Now, any of you ladies who have ever had a baby, you have felt like you had two nations in your womb, right? It's, that's, that's about it. And I think that this is funny. You know, the Bible says that they're warring with each other. I can just see, you know, these fists coming up through her belly, you know, as these two babies are going at it in the womb. That's exactly what's going on. And so, verse 23, And the Lord said unto her, Two nations are in thy womb, and two manner of people shall be separated from thy bowels. And the one people shall be stronger than the other people, and the elder shall serve the younger. All of us, if you are born again, if you have placed your faith and trust in Jesus Christ alone, you have two natures. You have a sin nature, a fleshly nature, and a spiritual nature, the nature of Christ. The Bible says that we are born with this sin nature. We, you don't earn it. You don't come to it. You know, we like to say you don't have to teach your children how to throw a fit at Walmart. You've got to show them how not to throw a fit at Walmart, right? Why? Because they're born sinners. They are sinners. Uh, Divins are back there. Little Caleb, he's a sinner. It's just the way that they are born. All of us are born sinners. And if we die that way, we die in sin. And remember the formula. If you're born once, then you're going to die twice. You're going to die physically, then you're going to die forever, separated from God in eternity, in an eternal judgment in hell. But if you're born again, if you're born twice, you only die once. Amen? Amen? That is the hope that we have. So those two natures, when a person is born again, are represented by Esau. That's the old nature. That's the firstborn. Then the secondborn is the new nature, and that's Jacob. And the Bible tells us that they are going to be warring with each other. But I love the hope that's given to us at the end of verse 23. And the elder shall serve the younger. Eventually. If you're born again, if you've placed your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, eventually the spirit will overcome the flesh. That's a tremendous hope that we have. So there's also something that we learned in verse 23, and that is it says in the middle of the verse, and the one people shall be stronger than the other. Notice it doesn't say which one, because at some points in your life, the flesh is stronger than the spirit. Sometimes the spirit is stronger than the flesh. Sometimes that happens within minutes. Man, if you've been in the spirit, you're praying, life is good, then all of a sudden, boom, all of a sudden you're in the flesh. Just like that. And that's why it's a battle. 
It's not something that you can say a little prayer in the morning and hope that life is good for the rest of the day. No, we need to walk in the Spirit. We need to allow the steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord. We need to allow the Lord to order our steps. So we see that there is this battle that is going to rage. Then if you look in verse, in chapter 28, remember what's happened. Jacob has grown up and he is a deceiver. The Bible says that Esau, when he came out, he was covered in hair. He was a hairy man. And Jacob was a plain man. Isaac loved Esau because he would go out and hunt and kill the venison and make him the savory meat that he liked. Jacob was loved by his mother, Rebekah. She just loved Jacob. And Rebekah was just like her brother Laban. Deceitful, deceitful. And she raised Jacob to be just like that. Isaac was a man of the flesh. He was always a man of appetites. And he raised Esau to be just like him. So now you have Jacob steals Esau's birthright. He steals it. He just takes it. The Bible tells us very clearly that God would have exalted Jacob, but Jacob got ahead of God, wanted to do it his own way. Because of that, he has to leave home. Esau's going to kill him. He has to leave home. As he's leaving, Genesis chapter 28, look at verse 11. And he lighted upon a certain place and tarried there all night because the sun was set. And he took of the stones of that place and put them for his pillows and lay down in that place to sleep. So here he is. He's alone. He's afraid, traveling at night, and he sleeps. And while he's sleeping, verse 12, and he dreamed and behold, a ladder set up on the earth and the top of it reached to heaven and behold, the angels of God ascending and descending on it. They're ascending first because they were already with him. These angels were with him, protecting him. Why? Because God was going to protect the seed. The seed that would bring about the Messiah was going to come through Jacob. So those angels were always protecting him. God had a plan, but Jacob was going to try and do it his way. And here's what happens when Jacob, in Genesis chapter 28, Jacob meets God. He meets Jesus Christ. By the time we get to verse 17, or verse 16, he says, And Jacob awaked out of his sleep and said, Surely... The Lord is in this place, and I knew it not. He meets God. He meets God. Look at verse 20. And Jacob vowed a vow, saying, If God will be with me, I will keep him in this way, and will keep me in this way that I go, and and will give me bread to eat and raiment to put on, so that I come again to my father's house in peace. Then shall the Lord be my God. You've got to see something here that is so vitally important. Jacob meets God here, but he is still an immature Christian. He's an Im- he is a picture of an immature believer. He's saying, look, God, if you'll do this for me, then I'll worship you. You make sure that I've got food, a place to sleep, I've got clothes to wear. You take care of me, you fulfill your promises to me, and I'll worship you. Aren't you glad God doesn't love us that way? He just loves us. He just loves us. But we are supposed to grow in the Lord. But Jacob doesn't. He spends, he, he builds an altar to the Lord. He worships him there. He meets Jesus Christ. There's no doubt about it. That's who he sees. The Bible tells us in the book of Matthew, or the book of John, I'm sorry, that Jesus Christ is the ladder that he saw. So he meets Jesus. And then he spends the next year living as if he had never met Christ. He goes, he meets Laban, he sees Rebecca. He says, Hamana, 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 this girl is a honey. I got to have her. And he finds a way to marry her. But Laban tricks him. He works seven years for 
for Rachel, and Laban tricks him, gives him old cow-eyed Leah. And man, he was not happy. But notice how God is repaying him. Be not deceived, God is not mocked. Whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. He reaped, he sowed deception, so he reaped deception. He sowed lies, he reaped lies. And so he goes, spends the next 20 years lying back and forth. He lies and then Laban lies, and then he lies and then Laban lies. They're back and forth. Finally, he gets to marry Rachel. And after 20 years, it's time to leave. So he leaves. He's got, God says, go back to the land. Go back to the promised land. He starts to head back to the promised land, and he hears that Esau's there, and he gets scared. Look at Genesis chapter 32. Genesis chapter 32. And verse 24. And Jacob was left alone. And Jacob was left alone. Here's a man who comes from a very large family. He has a very large family. And here he is. Now he's alone. He's lost his relationship with his father because he lied to him. He's lost his relationship to his brother because he stole from him. He lost his relationship with his mother. He never got to see his mother again. Never saw her again. Now, here he is. He's lost his relationship with his father-in-law. He is completely alone. And now his brother is coming, and he's afraid that his brother is going to kill him. He's completely alone. And so he starts wrestling with God. And we've heard this for years, like this is a good thing. We're supposed to wrestle with God in prayer. But the Bible says that we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers, against the rulers of darkness of this world, against the rulers of darkness in high places. We don't wrestle with God. We submit to God. We submit to God. We don't wrestle with God. He just was not going to receive it. The Bible tells us that some people wrestle or wrest God's word. They fight with God's word. Yeah, I believe it, but I just don't believe that part of it applies to me. People wrestle with God. They wrestle with His Word. Or they wrestle with flesh and blood. You can't wrestle in spiritual warfare, wrestle with the principalities and powers, until you stop wrestling with flesh and blood. If you're busy fighting your brothers and sisters in Christ, you're in the wrong battle. Amen? Okay, so that's our review. That's where we've come. What we see here is finally in Genesis chapter 32... Verse 24, And Jacob was left alone, and there wrestled a man with him until the breaking of the day. And when he saw that he prevailed not against him, he touched the hollow of his thigh. So remember, Jesus Christ is wrestling with Jacob here. And look at what it says. He couldn't prevail against him. Hey, look at this. He could not, God could not get through to Jacob. Jacob has been conniving, he's been deceiving, and now he's going to try to turn to God, and he still wants it to be done his way. Do you know that you can pray in a carnal state? I can't tell you how many times I've had people, they're making a bad decision, and it's an obviously bad decision, and here's what they say. Oh, but pastor, we prayed about it. You can pray in the flesh. And remember the purpose of prayer. The purpose of prayer is not to change God. It's to change you and me. It's to change us. So here in prayer, Jacob is wrestling with God rather than submitting to Him. And so finally, when God sees He can't prevail, 
He touches him in the hollow of his thigh, and he ruins his flesh. See, here's the deal. You'll never get anywhere with God until you subdue the flesh. And either you're going to subdue it through submission or God's going to subdue it through chastening. That's exactly the way that it is. And it's just like a parent. When you're training your children, potty training, you have to teach them how to subdue the flesh. And they don't like it. We were just talking the other day. I guess it was yesterday. Lydia, she had this pacifier, her passy. And she loved it. And remember, I told you the other day, Lydia's going to be 13 next Sunday. She's my little valentine. Lydia is going to turn 13. And she's this precious, sweet thing. She was an evil little girl. (laughs) And an example of this was her passy. You know, it came time. And we still ended up at the orthodontist, but we were trying to not make it too bad, you know. It's like Jacob can eat a corn cob through a picket fence. You know, these teeth come out like this, right, buddy? And so Lydia was the same way, but we're trying to head that off a little bit. So we took that passy, and she didn't see us do it, but we cut the end off it. And we gave it to her. And she put it in, and it fell out. And, and you know, she was like 11, so it seems like she would have figured it out. But no, no, she's just little. She put it in, and it fell out. And she started screaming, Passy! <laughs> and man we had to subdue the flesh do you know what that's called that's maturity that's maturity and just like in your physical life your whole life will be a battle with the flesh with the flesh going from here down to here amen guys It's going to be a battle with the flesh. That's what's going on here. And you will not accomplish what God wants you to accomplish in your life until you begin to subdue the flesh. So here, God helps him through chastening, subdues his flesh. And now look at what happens. Verse 26. And he said, Let me go, for the day breaketh. And he said, I will not let thee go, except thou bless me. Do you remember the last time Jacob asked for a blessing? He went into Isaac, and he deceived him. His dad was blind, so he put on the goat skins so he could feel like his brother, Harry Esau. He put on his clothes so he could smell like Esau. And when his father asked him what his name was, he said, I'm Esau. So now here he is asking for a blessing. Look what God says to him. And he said unto him, What is thy name? And he said, Jacob, liar, deceiver, supplanter. And he said, Thy name shall be called no more Jacob, but Israel. For as a prince, thou hast power with God and with men and hast prevailed. So now, Jacob really meets God. He was saved before, but now he gives himself to God. Now he's going to walk the Christian life. But here's what happens when you meet God. When you meet God, you're going to walk differently. You're going to walk differently. If you look at verse uh, 30. And Jacob called the name of the place Peniel, for I have seen God face to face. When you finally subdue the flesh, you can see God. Then look at verse 31. And as he passed over Penuel, the sun rose upon him. When you meet God, when you generally submit to God, now you can walk in the light. Then, look at what it says at the end of verse 31. 
and he halted upon his thigh. When you finally meet God, you're going to walk differently. The steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord. So now, here we are. Here's Jacob. Now he has been born again. He lived like a lost man for 20 years. Now he genuinely submits himself to God. And he says, God, I'm going to be yours. That was all introduction. Here's the message. Chapter 33. Look at verse 1. And the title of my message is, Take the Next Step in Separation. Take the next step in separation. Look at verse 33. Chapter 33, verse 1. And Jacob lifted up his eyes. Now, that phrase, lifted up his eyes, anytime you see that phrase, lifted up his eyes, he lifted up his eyes, something special is about to happen in the Bible. Mark it down. You're going to get something special. And look at what happens. And Jacob lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, Esau came, and with him 400 men. Here's the first thing that happens. When you commit yourself to live for God, and some of you, you're going to smile when I say this because you've experienced it. When you finally give your, not when you're born again, but when you finally say, I am going to live like a believer. I'm going to give my life completely to the Lord. I'm going to walk with Him and serve Him. You know the first thing that happens? A fleshly man comes into your life. The world confronts you. And the first thing that happens here is the worldly man appears. Satan will always send someone to keep you from serving God. Now, don't miss that. Young people, when you make a commitment, Pastor Nathan preaches a great message, you have a great lesson, and you say, I'm going to do something for God this week at school. The first thing that happens to you is that worldly kid comes. That's the first thing that happens. How many of you remember when that happened to you? Something like that. You said, today I'm going to live for God. And the first thing that happens is that worldly person comes into your life. Right there. Right there. But now notice what Jacob does. Again, verse 1 of chapter 3. And Jacob lifted up his eyes and behold and looked, and behold, Esau came, and with him 400 men. And he divided the children unto Leah, and unto Rachel, and unto the two handmaids. And he put the handmaids and their children foremost, and Leah and her children after, and Rachel and Joseph hindermost. And he passed over before them and bowed himself to the ground seven times. Do you know what a godly father does? Do you know what a man does who finally surrenders himself to God? He puts himself between his family and the world. He is going to take charge. Now, remember, this is not Jacob's character. This is not Jacob's nature. Jacob's nature is to send everybody out before him. Hey, take the small ones first. They're, they're okay. But now that he's given himself completely to God, now he starts to order his family. Here's what a godly man does. A godly man, a man who has been born again, has seen the fruit of his fleshliness and who now submits his flesh to the lordship of Jesus Christ, the next thing he does is he begins ordering his home. He's going to order his home, and he's going to get between Satan and his family. He's going to get between the world and his family. Dads, that is your job. You are the watchman on the wall. You're the one with the sword standing at the gate. Amen? I love that those rules for dating my daughter. You know, I like the, my favorite one was... Um, I have a shotgun, a shovel, and five acres. Be afraid. Be very afraid. Amen? Man, that's the way. Yesterday, uh, some of the girls, uh, some of Lyd's friends, 
we went to uh, for her birthday. And, you know, all these girls right here, these dads had better get some shotguns. You know, these are some good-looking girls, and these guys are going to be coming in. And let me just tell you, when it comes to dating your daughter, you got to protect your daughter from all the guys. Amen? you got to protect your family from the world, from everything that's going on, because we're going to see what the world's going to try and do. So here's what happens. As soon as you surrender your life to the Lord Jesus Christ, here's what's going to happen. The world is going to try and come in. And Dad, it is your job. If you're a single mom, it is your job. Mom, if you're not a single mom, if you're married, it's your job to help your husband do this, to support him. Dad comes home and says, all right, we're not doing this anymore. I'm done with this. I am done with this. We're not having this in our home anymore. But honey, everybody's doing it. (laughs) That might not be the best way to handle it. Amen? Now listen, dads. There's going to come a time when you get right with God that some things are going to have to change in your home. But if you're wise you will lovingly lead your wife into it or you are in for the battle of the century. Amen? Man, we got to do it. But somebody's got to set the rules. Somebody has to say, not in this house, not in this house. And that's got to be the man. All right? Then look at what happens. The world comes in in verse 1. Fleshly man comes in. Verse 2, Jacob's or, Jacob orders his family to protect them from the world. Then look at verse 3. And he passed over before them and bowed himself to the ground seven times until he came near to his brother. Here's what happens. When you genuinely submit yourself to the Lord, you now have a new humility. There's a new humility. There's a new way that you walk, that you deal with even the world. You don't... And here's the problem, man. Sometimes you get saved. Somebody gets saved or they get right with God. And the next thing they do is they go into work and they tell that guy they're working with, you're an evil sinner. You're wicked. Get away from me. I remember one time I was in fourth grade and uh, we lived in West Hartford, Connecticut. And I had a friend, Jimmy Tiernan. He lived up the street and his parents played on a softball league and they wanted me to come to a softball game with them. But the softball league was, it was a church league and it was the Catholic church. And uh, my folks said uh, to me, my dad said to me, he said, um, maybe you can go sometime, you know, when we go with you, but, but right now let's not go. That's a different church than we go to. We want to be careful with that stuff. So dad was wise in the way that he said it. Me, not so much. I went to Jimmy. I said, I can't go because you're Catholic. Man, those people got so mad, they called my dad. What do you mean you can't go because we're Catholic? What, are we not good enough for you Baptists? Now what do you say? I don't remember what dad said, but I'll bet you he threw me under the bus. You know, Jim's not right in his mind. You know, he says things that aren't aren't true. (laughs) You know, but listen, we have all... How many of you, after you got right with God or you got saved, you said something even in giving the gospel to family members or somebody else, and you might not have done it the right way. <laughs> You've been there? <laughs> Nick, I don't know if Nick's here. I thought I saw Yvonne. 
Nick Arling tells a story about doing that. Man, it's funny. It is funny. But listen, we must approach the world now with humility. Remember what the Bible says? That if, if a brother is overtaken in a fault, ye who are spiritual, all right, we are supposed to try and restore him. What does it say? Considering thyself. And it's so funny. Here I am. I'm just as worldly as anybody. Even though I'm saved, I can behave just as worldly as anybody. So now I get right with God. I've been worldly on the job, but I get right with God one Sunday. And the next day, all of a sudden, I'm telling these people how to live because now I'm holy. Do you see how that's not going to work real well? You are supposed to be holy, but your holiness ought to teach you some humility in the way that you approach the world. So now he becomes a humble person. But now look at verse 4. This is what Satan does. This is what the world does. Verse 4. And Esau ran to meet him and embraced him and fell on his neck and kissed him and they wept. And he lifted up his eyes and saw the women and the children and said, Who are those with thee? And he said, The children which God hath graciously given thy servant. Then the handmaidens came near. And they bowed their, uh, and they and their children, and they bowed themselves. And Leah also, with her children, came near and bowed themselves. And after came Joseph near and Rachel, and they bowed themselves. And he said, "What meanest thou by all this drove which I met?" Here's what happens. Esau now, Esau comes and wants to be friends. And it's interesting how the world does this. When you get right with God, there's a new winsomeness and a new humility that comes with you into your life. And now the world wants to come in and be your friend. Wants to be your friend. Remember what the Bible says. Friendship with the world is what? Enmity with God. Now remember what that word enmity means. That word enmity means hostility. Or warfare. When we become so friendly and interactive with the world, we can't see God. And that's Satan's plan. Listen to what one commentator wrote. I thought this was really interesting. He says, For every person I have seen abandon the narrow road for drink, drugs, or an illicit affair, I've seen two become useless to the Lord through infatuation with Little League, theater, civic clubs, 4-H, and the like. friendship The friendship of the world is not the dirtiest parts of the world. It's enmity with God. Now here, I'm not saying that, don't get, I'm not saying that you're not supposed to be in Little League or 4-H or whatever. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is when you become so enamored with the world that it starts taking your eyes off of God, Satan has won. And that's exactly what Satan wants to do. Do you know what your purpose ought to be in ball games or fields or, or, or you know, any of those things that you belong to? It's to lead people to Christ. It's to influence them for the Lord Jesus Christ. Remember, my best friend Dalton Robertson, he preaches for us sometimes. His father was led to the Lord because he coached football with another guy who coached football who was a Christian. And that guy led him to the Lord on the football field. If you're looking at that as your ministry, as a way to lead people to Christ and bring them into the local church and get them built up in the faith and send them out into the community to change it, then, man, get involved in the ball team. But if, you, if that's one of your gods, 
if sports is one of your gods, then you're just making friends with the world. Amen? Amen. Okay, now, so that's what, that's what Satan always tries to do, is tries to become a friend. Um, then, look at verse 8. And he said, What meanest thou by all this drove which I met? And he said, These are to find grace in the sight of my Lord. Do you know what happens when a person genuinely becomes spirit-filled? All of a the sudden, their values change. What has Esau spent, I'm sorry, what has Jacob spent his life doing? Accumulating. By tricking, by deceit, and he's good at it. So he's rich. But when you get right with God, now you're willing to use all you have to influence the world. Your life changes. But I want you to learn something about the world. Sometimes people in the world have better character than people in the church. Look at the next verse. And Esau said, I have enough, my brother. Keep that thou hast unto thyself. Do you know that there are people, there are worldly people that have better character than believers? Amen? Man, there are people all over, and we talk about it. Laura was, was mentioning it yesterday. You get out and drive. There were people shoveling their driveways before the snow stopped. People in this community have character, man. They work really, really hard. Have you noticed that? That doesn't mean they're saved. But do you know what that means? That means that we as believers... If we don't keep our yards mowed and our houses painted and the garbage picked up and the, the car washed and those things, then all of a sudden the people in the community are looking at us and saying, man, aren't, aren't they supposed to be Christians? They can't even wash their car. They can't. Okay, now how, if you have a dirty car, would you raise your hand? Okay. I understand. It's all right. I'll give you a special dispensation today for your dirty car. See, here, here's the thing, man. If we're going to be in the world, we have to remember that there are moral people that are lost in the world. we got to live right. Amen? Then, look at what happens. Verse 10. Jacob, look at what it says. And Jacob said, Nay, I pray thee, if now I have found grace in thy sight, then receive my present at my hand. For therefore I have seen thy face as though I had seen the face of God, and thou wast pleased with me. Here's what happens when you're born again. When you're born again and then you surrender yourself to God, you're able to see people just the way they are and still live at peace with them. Remember, we don't wrestle against flesh and bones. How many of you have family members? You have family members that you struggle with, right? How are you going to win them to Christ if you, if, if you can't be peaceful with them? How are you going to do that? You will never influence your lost family members until you can look at them and love them exactly the way that they are and humbly bow before them and live a godly life. That's the only way that you're going to reach them. That's the only way. Look at this. The next thing that happens, verse 11. Take, I pray thee, my blessing that is brought to thee, because God hath dealt graciously with me, and because I have enough. And he urged him, and he took it. In God, 
And here, this is spiritual maturity. When, remember, he committed to give the tenth all the way back in Genesis chapter 28. He's not done it. He committed to do that. Now, here he is. He's walking with God. And now he says, you know what? I've got enough. I can give. I've got enough. That's maturity. Look at the next verse. And this is exactly what Satan does. This is the trap of the world. And he said, this is Esau talking, let us take our journey. Let us go and I will go before thee. Do you know what the fleshly man wants to do to the believer? He likes being with the believer because the believer is a good worker. The believer, the sold-out man of God, the sold-out woman of God, the sold-out teenager, young person, they are good people to be around. But the world wants to lead you. They want to lead you. That's exactly what Esau is trying to do. He is Now, let me ask you this. How many of you think that Esau was going to take Jacob where God wanted him to go? You think? No. And this is what the world wants to do to you. Be careful who you have teaching your children. Be careful who you have coaching your children. Be careful who you have influencing your children. Be careful who you have influencing you. If you're getting your advice from Dr. Phil, if you're getting your advice from Oprah, if you're getting your advice from these people, that is the world trying to be your friend and lead you. Look at the proper response. Remember, we're going to take the next step in separation. Look at the proper response. Verse 13. And he said unto him, My Lord knoweth that the children are tender, and the flocks and the herds are uh, with young are with me. And if men should overdrive them one day, all the flock will die. Let my Lord, I pray thee, pass over before his servant, and I will lead on softly, according as the cattle that goeth before me and the children be able to endure until I come unto my Lord unto Seir. Again, notice how humbly and carefully he refuses to have a fleshly man lead his children. Isn't that interesting? Because if you overdrive them, they'll die. You know what? Why don't you go on ahead let me take care of my family. Let me take care of this. A humble, straightforward answer. Now, I also want you to notice something. Look at the next thing that happens. Uh, verse 15. And Esau said, Let me now leave with thee some of the folk that are with me. So since he can't lead them, since he can't take them, he just wants to infiltrate them. Here, let's let let bring us into your club. Bring us in. Let the world come in. Here's the deal, folks. Here at Grace Baptist Church, I remember when uh, when Andy and Maureen came. Um, Maureen wasn't saved yet, and Andy said to me, um, "Now my wife's Catholic. You don't have a problem with that, do you?" And I said, "No." I'd love for, for her to be here. I would love for her to be here. Now, Maureen came in and she was born again. Now she's been discipled. She disciples other people. And now we're just working on Andy. Um, but here's the deal. Imagine 
if I brought Maureen in and she was not born again. Now, that doesn't mean that every Catholic's lost. That does, there are saved Roman Catholics. Amen? We talked about Nick. Nick was saved, and I think he led worship and things at the Catholic Church for like seven years after he was saved. So there are saved people that go to the Catholic Church. But imagine if I brought her in immediately and had her teaching Sunday school, and she's not saved. You can't do that. You cannot do that. Remember, here's what we say. You're joining us. We're not joining you. Amen? Why? Because, man, this is the hospital. I want every person in Shelby County to come to Grace Baptist Church and hear the truth of the Word of God. Amen? But how many of you think maybe there's some folks in Shelby County that we might not let lead the church? You think? You think? So again, we need to take the next step in separation. The world wants to get in, and, and we don't have time to go into it, but remember what the Bible says, that if you plant a mustard seed, if you have faith, it'll grow into a tree, and such a tree that's so big that the birds will lodge in its branches. Well, just before that, Jesus Christ gave the parable of the sower, and he said, the field is the world, the seed is the word of God. The sower sows the seed. But the birds come and steal the seed before it can grow. And then he tells his disciples, well, the, bird is, the birds are Satan. And then he goes on to say that the church is going to grow so much that the birds will lodge in its branches. Do you know what that tells us? That, that in churches, there are going to be unsaved people that are coming in to destroy the church. There are people who they don't even know it, but their goal is to destroy your home, to destroy your children, to destroy your family. That's that, because they have a philosophy that is completely contrary to the Word of God. Now look at the proper response. We've got to take the next step in separation. Look at the proper response. Verse 15, And Esau said, Let me now leave with thee some of the folk that are with me. And he said, What needeth it? Let me find grace in the sight of my Lord. So Esau returned that day on his way unto Seir. Now, I want you to notice something that happens here. Jacob wouldn't allow them to come in. He kept his family separate. Verse 16, So Esau returned that day on his way to Seir, and Jacob journeyed to Succoth. Now, there's something about this that's really important. Seir and Succoth were opposite directions. You see, the path of the world and the path of the Spirit, they are going two different places. They are going two completely separate places. If you look at verse 18, And Jacob came to, to Shalem, a city of Shechem, which is, the land of Canaan, which is in the land of Canaan, when he came out from Padanaram and pitched his tent before the city. Here's what happens. Shalem, that's peace. Um, Succoth, that's booths. That's the same as tabernacles. That's meeting with the Lord. See, the path of the world leads to worldliness. The path of the Spirit takes you to a place of safety and a place of peace. But how many of you think that Esau would have led him to Shechem? No. He was going to take him to Seir. He was going to take him to the wrong place. The world always wants to take you and your family to the wrong place. Though, If you look at verse 17, And Jacob journeyed to Succoth and built him and house, and made booths for his cattle. Therefore, the name of the place is called Succoth. Now, those booths for his cattle, he also built a place to worship the Lord 
So here's what happens. When you follow the Holy Spirit, God leads you to a place of peace, safety, and worship. Or you can follow the world. You see, if you are going to live the spiritual life, if you're going to, to, to be a victorious Christian, man, you can't walk in the, in, in the flesh. You've got to walk in the Spirit and take the next step in separation. But you know what we learn in this text that I think is really interesting? Jacob still had his flesh. And he had made his way by lying and deceiving for so long that even in the Spirit, he falls back on the flesh. Look at verse 14. Let my Lord, I pray thee, pass over before his servant, and I will lead on softly according as the cattle that goeth before me and the children be able to endure until I come unto my Lord unto Seir. Did Jacob have any intention of going to Seir? No. Where did he go? He went to Shechem. He lied to his brother. He fell back on his deceit and his deception. Because he was afraid. Do you know what we do? We make a commitment to follow the Lord. And the Lord has promised to never leave us or forsake us. He's promised to lead us. He's promised to be with us. Amen? Amen. And yet when we get in trouble, we fall back on our flesh. And we find a way to work it out ourselves. So now here's the question. What do you think Esau thought? about all of Jacob's God talk then. See, we want to win our families if we are not truthful and honest and humble. Our Christian testimony becomes a reproach. See, we need to take the next step in separation. Sometimes the hard truth is just hard truth. It needs to be given humbly. But lying to your family or deceiving your boss or deceiving a co-worker or deceiving your wife or children, that is always of the flesh. It is always of the flesh. Let's walk in the Spirit. Amen? Amen. Let's realize that when we surrender to the Lord Jesus Christ, there's a difference between getting saved and living for the Lord. Jesus says, come unto me for salvation. And then he says, come after me for service and discipleship. Lots of people are saved, born again. They're going to go to heaven, but they're not living a Christian life right here. Let's give ourselves completely to the Lord. But remember, when you do, the man of flesh is going to be there just like that. Amen? And when that happens, that's when we have to take the next step in separation from the world. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for your word.